And that's how it got started. That's, I guess, who expected somebody to, to make the phone call, the anonymous phone call from out of state, from somebody who admitted they'd never been to our property, had never seen our livestock, didn't even know where our ranch was, but had concerns. That's what started our whole thing, was an anonymous complaint out of state. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. The conversation today is actually quite a heavy conversation, but it's a story I felt was important to tell. I learned about it actually through a movie, The Stand at Paxton County, about the Dotsinger family and the uh, indictment of their farm and animal care. And they are in North Dakota. North Dakota is an entirely different animal than you know, if you have a farm in Florida or Texas or California, and um, it was they, it was very unjust, and a lot of details about this that would be important for certainly farmers and ranchers to know, but also those of you who have pets. There, if somebody gets emotional about your animals and decides that you're not doing right by them, and yet they may not be experts in that themselves you're facing something very difficult. So I hope you enjoy this this really great conversation with Missy Dossinger. Hi, Missy. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your patience in sorting out technology, but here we are finally. So if you would, please tell our listeners what, um, what happened at the ranch in uh, I believe it was North Dakota. Yes, correct. Yeah. So give us yeah. give us the background on that. Well, I started off saying that uh, I am uh, currently serving still in the U.S. military. So anything that I say here is my personal thoughts and feelings as a person. It has nothing to do with my employer or being in the military or anything of that nature. However, I have been able to serve because I knew that whenever I was finished with my time, whether it was because I separated or retired, I could always go back home to North Dakota. And part of that would be going back home to the family ranch. And in 2017, I received a phone call and realized that that's not always the case. Unfortunately, there's a lot of special interest groups that are getting a lot of traction, trying to pass unconstitutional laws all the time. And until this happened to somebody I knew, my father uh, was found in the crosshairs of allegations of animal abuse and neglect. I had no idea this was happening. And so before I even get into my story, I think the biggest thing is I am not going to withhold information based on judgment. I think everybody deserves to have access to the same information so they can have the same uh, rights to a legal fight when they're found with these type of things. So I don't decide if somebody has been abusing or neglecting animals. I've been consulted with people since this happened to my father, uh, and I will give them the same information as well. But the biggest reason that I stood up for my dad at the time was not because he was my dad, but it was because I knew that simply what they were saying at the time was not true. They made allegations. Um, it started out with um, a deputy coming to his property he, there were allegations that my dad wasn't living there, that he had left, and the animals were all abandoned. My dad has lived at that same property other than going to college for his entire life. So once they knew that the first part of the story wasn't lining up, they should have already kind of backed off, and they didn't do that. They came with the full force, um, and the same day that they came there, they ended up seizing some animals. They took 
uh, a mare, a mother horse, and a, a, a foal, a newborn foal, which coincidentally happened to be two of the best bred horses we had on the property. Um, and from there, it just, you saw how quickly um, you can get in a lot of a big mess really quickly, I guess, uh, if somebody wants to make allegations of abuse or neglect. Um, so I heard that they had taken horses and in the military, there's a lot of, a lot of what we do is based on policy procedures, instructions, guidance, that yeah. So the first place I looked is I said, if they're making allegations of abuse and neglect, what does that mean? What are you doing or not doing based on the law? And I realized very quickly that in almost all the states where this legislation is getting passed, it is purposely vague. They will leave it. They will not give you dimensions of a building or how many square feet per animal or whichever. It will just be, you know, yeah. care of feeding sufficient for breed. Well, what I I think it's sufficient for a horse might be different than what somebody in Kentucky on a thoroughbred race, you know, racetrack things. And so they're purposely vague so that you think you're protected. It could never affect you. And then when you're found in the crosshairs, then they will give you all what they think it is, what their stipulations are, what their guidelines are. And from the first kind of moment it happened, I kind of told my dad, you need to get your vet out there, you know, and he said, I don't think there's anything wrong that you're doing, but these are some things, some things you could do that would maybe show that you're making an effort to make improvements. Well, then later after the fact, they use that report to say, well, there were already these deficiencies that your own vet found. So it must have been a problem. Um, so they'll twist it and manipulate it. Now, one big thing that happened with my dad's situation was that at that time, they could just come and take all your animals. They did not have to give you a hearing. They did not have to give you any, uh, mm-hmm. they didn't track the animals. If they took them, they were just gone forever. And thankfully, that, that is one thing that we were able to do. I was able to secure an attorney for my dad. The, the attorney petitioned for him to have a hearing before the animals were removed. We were making traction, but they came to take all the animals. We actually filed a restraining order against the state of North Dakota because nobody would say who thought the animals needed to be removed. The sheriff's department said they were following the advice of the veterinarian. The veterinarian said we're following the advice of the Uh, sheriff's department and oh by the way the veterinarian that they just happened to have come out was a veterinarian that we had had a negative interaction with over 16 years before and had never used her services of herself or her clinic since then and then we found out after the fact she'd been saying for years that she thought my dad shouldn't own horses so probably not an objective assessment there Um, but either way the restraining order was reviewed by a judge. The judge agreed with us that it is not right to take someone's personal property without a hearing. We were able to get it, get a hearing. They did in the interim legally seize the horses in place, which they don't always do. They're supposed to have a written agreement with who's going to take care of the horses or livestock, what's going to happen. They didn't do that. We were so horribly neglectful, or my dad was, but yet they left all the cattle and horses on his property with him still providing all the care, feeding. We had a water pump that went out. Had we not fixed the pump, they would have been without water and nobody would have cared or done anything about it. So it just is, it's comical now but it was absolutely one of the worst things I've experienced in my life to realize how little rights you have uh, if something like that happens. And it is, there's multiple cases, not just with livestock, but with other things. If you cannot afford an attorney, you are definitely at a detriment in our legal system right now. And I knew a little bit about that ahead of time. There's 
um, there's a book and a movie called Just Mercy that talks about how if you cannot get a good attorney, you are definitely more at risk of plea deals and just being told that this is the best you can do. But if you can actually secure your own attorney, you are at a significant advantage. So I knew that. Yeah. Attorney for my dad. So Missy, to back up, your yes. dad, your family, and your dad was running a ranch in North Dakota. Correct. And yep. uh, there is a movie about this, the stand at Paxton County, correct? Forest Films. I'll put yep. a link in show notes. Yep. How accurate is the movie? Did, did in, in, and one question on that is, did in fact you guys hire a hand who helps sabotage sure. the farm? Sure. Is that well, true? Um, I'll, t- I'll definitely talk about the movie. I can tell you a little bit. I will say it's more true than not. Uh, okay. From my perspective, it's probably at least 80 to 86% true. They actually, I actually know more about this whole situation than my dad does. He was in such a state of shock and anxiety and everything that he still doesn't know. You know, he hasn't reviewed sure. all the papers that I have. And so sure. when this was going on, one of the, another great thing that we were able to do was somebody that I know that I used to show animals with in 4-H contacted me early on that, hey, what's happening to your dad isn't right. They could do the same thing to me. She and her yeah. dad is Appaloosa horses together. And so she said, it could be the exact same thing. But what yeah. you need is you need to get a hold of Protect the Harvest because they have a lot of information on how to fight this stuff. She had heard about them, I think, through some different NFR events or something. So thankfully, I reached out to Protect the Harvest. They got back in contact with me very quickly, which was yeah. one reason. You know, Protect the Harvest, they have information and they have knowledge. They don't give you money. They don't try and, you know, support you that way, but they give you other support. They give you support um, because they've been seeing this go on for quite a while and they can get you spun up on things really quickly. And um, I got to work with Craig Curry. He works with the Harvest and he was, we talked and after our first conversation, he said, you get it. I said, I just can see what it is. It's a game plan that they have to erode our rights to own animals. And they've made it so that you're so ashamed of talking about being charged with a crime of animal abuse, animal abuse or neglect that right. people talk about it. Um, so either way, Protect the Harvest linked up with us early on. That was great. Uh, that was one of the biggest reasons we were able to come out on the other side because we had information. We knew how to better fight uh, the charges and allegations. Yeah. But they told us early on, too, Craig said, you know, this sounds like a movie. I said, yeah, it does. He's like, no, really. It sounds like it could be a movie. <laughs> yeah. So at the time, Mr. Lucas had a movie company that he had purchased and he was trying to make some films that would get the stories out that he was passionate about. You know, there's yeah. about water rights in California, running wild about, you know, people, you know, how their emotional feelings about feral horses are just decimating our landscape and actually the detriment of the feral horses as well. They're not properly managed. They're over limits, those type of things. So this was where they know that these animal seizures have been happening and our story was a good opportunity. So we kind of knew early on. Yeah. So back to that though, it starts, (laughs) you guys have a farm in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. There's an infiltration of the animal rights community and mm-hmm. vets and quote, and I'm putting quotes, you can't see it, animal experts yeah. who are utilized as consultants and or veterinarians 
by the local municipalities, sheriffs, the, the police, the even animal control, because they sometimes third party it out. The Humane Society of the United States, that's one of their huge tactics to come in as the experts. So now you're farmers, you guys are experts with animals and your peers, and you have someone come in and, like you said, the woman, the vet, uh, had a, a, an agenda and an issue with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, not the type of vet we want to have around animals if she's willing to, you know, yeah. just throw somebody under the bus. But your dad hired a hand, and I want to get to this because yep. this is yep. a tactic of the animal rights community. I'm from a circus family, as you may know, and exhibited animals. And even farms, one of the things that happens is they'll infiltrate, Mm -hmm. uh, which there are laws now in states trying to, um, if you're falsely doing that, I think Utah was, I believe it was Utah was one of the first states that... I'd have to double check. I think it got overturned, though, unfortunately. Did it? Yeah, where they they say you can't come in under false pretenses and do that. So is it true that a hand came on your property and helped kind of sabotage... You know, I joined the military. My dad stayed on the ranch and through times he had been looking for help to come. And it, it's it's just difficult to find somebody that, you know, yeah, to do what you would do if it was your own place and your own animals. And so he did find this gentleman was very interested. Things had kind of fallen off. My dad reached back out. He came out and worked there. And, um, you know, he we had. My dad, that was one thing. And I told anybody who is listening to this, please, please, if you have anybody that's going to work with you with your animals, you need to have it in writing what they are responsible for. And that if there's any concerns, they will let you know. Um, And thankfully, my dad did a written agreement with this gentleman where he said, the animals are on share. I am responsible for the care and feeding. And um, this gentleman was working there. I hadn't met him. I think I moved over to Japan in October. And this happened the following um, April, you know, April-ish time frame. Um, but it was, my dad came home from work. The, the gentleman was living in my dad's house with him in his own room. And my dad came home from work one evening. His vehicle wasn't there, but sometimes he went out at night. And so that wasn't concerning. But in the morning, my dad realized his truck was gone. He realized he had two horses in kind of a corral uh, in the yard. That's where he wanted to keep his two horses. And my dad was letting him board there as part of the agreement. The horses. Oh, okay. And then my dad knocked on his bedroom he was not in the room. There were two fridges. One was my dad. One was his, his fridge was empty. And my dad was like, just thinking like he left. So he did right. The higher left. My dad was coming up with a plan of what am I going to do? I'm going to have to move the horses where I can get to them and take care of them. And within hours, the deputy showed up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's portrayed in the movie as well. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. What happened now? I will say that, I don't know that this hired hand was had came on initially to try and take my dad down, but I can tell you that the Humane Society of United States did train. They provided training to the Stark County Sheriff's Department, and they yeah. will tell all the things to look out for and that you need to speak for the animals. So that happens at multiple uh, jurisdictions. So be aware of that. You do not want your law enforcement getting this training from HSUS um, because they pretty much say they just you know, the algae in, in a stock dam is harmful. Yeah. They're going to get rid of animals drinking out of fresh waterways. That should open your mind to what HSUS wants to do. Um, but well, one they, only has to look at the, the agenda of the animal okay. rights groups to see that they do not 
Yes. They're not on board with. They do not agree with any type of mm-hmm. livestock. They actually don't even agree with pets, but people don't realize that's yeah, part of the agenda. Um, but the and- confiscation of animals, along with Biden's 30 by 30 um, taking land as well, which I've done stories on, is really concerning. And that's why I want to do this story with yeah. you to help people understand, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I say, HSU trained the sheriff's department and whether this hired hand came on initially or not we do know from people that there were kind of a little bit of a plan with some people you know an ex an ex-wife an ex-girlfriend the hired hand a neighbor lady these type of things where they were kind of all talking about what they needed to do and that's how it got started that's i guess who affected somebody to to make the phone call the anonymous phone call from out of state from somebody who admitted they'd never been to our property had never seen our livestock didn't even know where our ranch was but had concerns that's what started our whole thing was an anonymous complaint out of state and when craig curry told me that's how i was going to start i thought he was crazy and then that's exactly what it was oh Um, yeah that's the big tactic is uh of state gets a full force investigation i could go to the sheriff's department and not get that much pull you know it's so absolutely but what can happen is when they hear about something going on or if somebody is animal rights leaning the humane society of united states will pay somebody five thousand dollars if there is a guilty uh a guilty charge or a plea deal obtained and so i don't know if the hired man ended up talking to them and realizing he can make some side money on his way out or what happened. But the reality was we were realizing he wasn't doing what he needed to under the terms of the contract. He'd been given essentially a 30 day warning and a week shy of that roughly is when he left. And that's when everything from the investigation standpoint started. And, you know, our farm is run down. I will never tell you that it is a swanky place. It is nothing like where the, uh, you know, where some different animals live that are sponsorship animals, that type of stuff. It is not, it is a, it is a fourth generation ranch that has endured, you know, years of drought and years of light paychecks. And, and it is, it is not, of the imagination a you know it's nothing like you're going to see in, in yellowstone or something like that but the animals had food they had access to water they had shelter through terrain features and windrows as many livestock in north dakota and other midwest areas do and if they could come and charge my dad with all these crimes at the time every livestock producer in north dakota needed to be aware because they could find themselves in the similar situation and that was one of the good things that happened after this was all went through the courts with this hearing the judge deemed that um you know from the day that they they took two horses the first day and about 30 days later was when they tried to take the horses and the cattle and they were going to try and take three llamas that were on the property nobody knew how but they were going to take horses cattle and llama they did not care about our dog and they did not or farm cats, which farm cats are probably the most neglected animal because they need to work for their food. You don't want them to be fat and happy. You want them to be chasing mice. And so they didn't care about that. They cared about what had value. And yeah. the horse, um, the vet was going to take all the, the mares that were pregnant so that she could, you know, provide care until they fold, which was going to be racking up vet fees. So she probably would end up taking those horses as settlement of the fees. So, you know, she definitely had an incentive to try and keep those horses. Well, let's, yeah, let's be clear then, about that. When they, when they do confiscate animals, the meter yeah. starts running. They do it with exotic animals. There've been a few small uh, zoo type habitat facilities. The meter starts running 
So when they confiscate animals, it's not just these animals are going to this utopian place. They could be taking them to a similar farm. But now somebody's got a vested interest. They're racking up money on them. And to your point, and we've seen this before at, at a zoo facility where they took only the animals that had value. Mm-hmm. And it, we as animal people take care of all of our animals, right? And we we operate with best practices and what's in the best interest of the animal. You can't anthropomorphize and look at a facility and say, well, the animals don't like it. It's mm-hmm. you as a human. It's not you as the animal person putting yourself in that place. And that is such a defining difference that we see all over this animal rights issue is the anthropomorphiz- anthropomorphizing and um, that they're not experts and not interested in what is truly in the best interest of the animal. We can see that by an episode I did with uh, Center for Environment and Welfare. Um, Jack talked about their multi-million dollar war chests and offshore accounts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So make no mistake, this is money motivated. And they're trying to put ranchers and, and farmers out of business. There's no question about it. That's why I think your story is so important. Well, and I think what brought attention to ours again is people can feel emotional about horses. A lot of people do, but sure. cattle, a big business in a lot of the Midwest areas because cattle eat grass in terrain that is not suitable for anything other than growing grass. You cannot put corn on rocky hillsides and expect right. that you're going to And so when the cattle ranchers saw they were trying to take cattle and they were going to take these cattle directly to livestock sales yard to sell them. So cattle owed neglected, but are in good enough shape to be sold directly. And then that money would have went to the sheriff's department. They could have used it for whatever they wanted. And we would have had to petition to get that money back. And oh, by the way, our cows were all going to be gone. So in the hearing, thankfully, this is something I want people to know is if you are in this situation, Try and push to have them seized in place. Argue to, uh, you know, them being in the environment they know with somebody checking on them is less stressful right. to the. We were fortunate that because of the number of horses and cattle, they realized quickly they couldn't just take them all away overnight. And so they did seize them in place. So legally they were not ours, but we at least knew where they were. In the the bill that we were able to get passed now, like I said, you are guaranteed a hearing before the animals are removed. And also if animals are removed, they are supposed to maintain an inventory and a list of who has possession, which traditionally is not done. Um, hopefully okay. they do that. Very easy for them to just take them wherever they want. But if right. the animal asks, where are they? Or if their attorney says, where are they? They have to disclose that they at least are tracked and they know where they are. So that if you are able to be found guilty or the charges are dismissed, you can get your animals back. Um, That's but like huge said, because that has happened where they correct. did not know um, where the animals were. I'm talking yeah. with Missy Dossinger about um, their North Dakota farm and an episode that happened um, several years ago now where their animals were uh, attempted to be confiscated. And um, it's also the the subject of the movie, The Stand at Paxton County. Missy, when they when they uh, keep them in place uh, at your place, are you who pays the bill for the feed and such or who makes sure they're taken care of? Yeah. The law says that the county is responsible 
um, with come with entering into an agreement, which they never did. So ultimately we just kept, you know, that was the allegation was that we didn't have feed. We had like, you know, a quarter ton bag of oats there. Um, so we kept providing oats and it was spring. The grass was coming in. That was the miracle diet that we had was grass. Um, we, we maintained it, but like I say, the pump went out and we fixed the pump. The County did not pay for that replacement so that the horses could continue to have the water. Um, so in theory, there's, that's what the loss is. The loss is they will enter in an, into an agreement with who the caretaker will be, but they did not do that. They just seized them in place and pulled up across the street and they would watch us take care of the animals and they would drive through. It was, um, there, it was a drought year that summer as well. And it was supposed to be like no driving off roadway. There was a, a burn ban. There was a driving ban and the sheriff's department was driving all through our dry pastures that could have sparked a fire so easily. And they just did not care. They just did what they wanted. They drove where they wanted. Um, there was so much more traffic there. We had more animals get injured from the in- increased activity. And of course they didn't take care of those animals. They didn't treat those cuts. They didn't call the vet and have them come out. We did all of that. So, and that may be why one reason that the judge ended up, um, you know, saying that we could keep the animals um, because we were doing all those things because it was the right thing to do. They were legally not ours, but we felt responsible. You know, we know the lineage. They're the cattle we have raised and pulled and cared for horses that you know i used to show some of the stock in 4-h i know their grandmother was my riding horse that type of stuff so we took care of the animals because it was the right thing to do now yeah and you have a you have a a heart for the animals they always want to accuse us of yeah or they use emotions so well on the other side on the animal rights groups and the narrative and for you know my podcast goes to people who aren't animal people so you know, that's why I try to talk in layman's terms, too. Of course, there will be people who are in this uh, own animals, but also those were urbanites now. The United States more than I think the statistic is more than 95 percent. So people who can't even fathom this. But um, we 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 don't we didn't in the past use emotion because we real we know that reality best practices, generational experience are a great program. If mm-hmm. we we can't afford to get emotional when we need to take care of our animals, but yet we're accused at the same time, like you just said, you mentioned that you know grandmother's horse and animals you showed as a child and that type of thing. We're very emotional about it, but we also understand practicality. And in North Dakota, practicality keeps you alive. Let's face it. Um, well, and so. That's the thing. People will make the argument to say, if you're raising livestock, you're only in it for the money. If you do not take care of it, it's worth money. So even if you say it's only a monetary gain, you have to take care of that the livestock. You just Absolutely. do. Part of livestock is, I tell people, if you have livestock, eventually you will have dead stock. That is it. Yeah. We born, we live, and we all die. Nothing changes that. We will yeah. all leave the same way and one thing that started this was we had some old cows that right at the end of winter passed away um but when they asked how old they were they were cows in on a ranch you'll say sometimes the animal earns its place so if they're you know they're producing great livestock for you that you have you know you've had emotional connection to them you've had great monetary gain from them sometimes if they are still doing what they need to do they've earned their place you know so we had some older cows normally you'll sell a cow when they're 10 12 maybe 16 at the oldest we had 22 and 24 year old beef cattle that had calves the year before yeah And those cows earned their place and 
at the end of the winter, that was it. You know, they passed away probably in their sleep, but we did have some dead cattle that because the ground was still frozen, they were, you know, as many people had been doing, a lot of people will have carcasses in an area until they can either dig or if it's safe to burn. Um, but we didn't even know that that wasn't okay. A lot of, a lot of people do that, but the law had actually been changed where you have to, it says you have to burn, bury, or turn into a rendering plant within, I think, 24 hours or 48 hours if there's an unknown cause of death. I can tell you that a 22-year-old cow probably died of old age. So it's yeah. not a disease concern. So we'll get it taken care of. But there's nothing in the current law or guidance that says you have to do it right now if they just pass of old age or something. So that was the argument. Well, you have some dead cows there. Yep, they're back. They're in a pasture behind the barn. Nothing else is near them. And once, you know, the ground thaws and we can get around better with the snow, then we take care of them. Um, so, but those cows had earned those pla- their place. They did not get yeah. called in sale yard we did not sell them we ate that loss we could have sold those cattle for you know a thousand dollars or more but they earned their place right yeah i understand that did did anybody get cited or on the 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 side of the uh sheriff or animal control or any of the officials within the government in north dakota did they get um did they get found guilty on anything or any issues Uh, Anybody before (laughs) I'll answer the question, but if you look in the statute, the statute, I believe, is in at least 16 states. And you'll see the same thing I see in North Dakota, that veterinarians acting in good faith cannot be held liable. Oh, boy. Oh, I actually did file a complaint about the veterinarian. But then the state board of veterinarians said that I was not a client since I had not paid for her services. I did not have any grounds to make a complaint against her. Holy moly. Um, so nothing happened. I, they're still, I think, you know, have their license. I don't believe they're practicing as, practicing as much. The two veterinarians involved, the one is older and is essentially kind of enjoying retirement at this point, but still working when they want. The other one is still working. Um, but what the other part that was concerning is, like you said, you don't want veterinarians with that animal rights mindset practicing, but they don't see it that way. One of the other veterinarians, she owns horses, but she owns real, you know, halter horses that are chubby, almost obese to some point, yeah. some standards and that's what she expects every horse to look like that's not going to happen for the majority of ranch horses that are yeah. you know in the open range type thing um she's still practicing i think maybe you know she's trying to have a little more objective opinion i hope because ultimately the reality is very few times is it somebody purposely wanting to neglect or abuse an animal often it is a combination of you know it's the owner may have ill health or maybe they're in a tough spot monetarily and they, they don't want to sell their animals um, and they're trying to make it through, or they have a health issue that they're not able to get around. Um, it's, yeah. it's usually a founding factor and the right thing to do for the animals is get that animal owner on board with what they need to do to fix the situation. Help so the them. animal in a better environment or have more or better feed available. So if you don't work with the animal owner, the same thing is going to happen again because they're, you know, they can get sick again. They can be short on money again. You need to work to educate the owner or just let them know what it looks like. The majority of owners, if you say, Hey, I think your dog's a little skinny. I think your cat, uh, you know, their hair isn't looking very good. You should get them seen. Most people will do that. But when you're with the animal every day, you may not see that there's a slight change or in the spring in North Dakota, it is the worst time to look at livestock because they're losing their winter hair. They're starting to slick up. The grass is there, but it's not a lot. It's starting to come in. And they'll go for the short, fresh grass over bales of hay. That's what they want. And yes. you, they will, you know, 
eat that short, short grass instead of going to the bale feeder. And yeah. you just give it 30, 30 days, check on the people, let them know you're concerned about the situation. Most people will remedy it themselves without the extensive cost to the sheriff's department or the, um, like, you know, if there's a, uh, I can't think of animal control, you know, a yeah. lot of people, animal control budget is not big. You're asking them to take care of all these animals really quickly. They're not going to be able to financially do that with their budget. Better to provide. And so I always tell people there is no harm in monitoring a situation for 30 days and watching for improvement. If there's improvement, that's it. You don't need to do anything. You don't have to take their animals. You can let Mm -hmm. them know that you're concerned or you're looking out for, you know, them and the animal's interest. And you're just going to keep an eye. And if they need help, there are services, there are groups, there are people that will work with them to haul their horses or cattle or whatever. But I, it is always, it goes back to treat people the way you want to be treated. And the animal rights agenda does not do that because they think they're way and they will not work with their neighbor um, to help them through a bad situation or help them with a vet bill. But Ultimately, that's what we can do as people is treat people the way you want to be treated. If you see an animal that's skinny, if you know the person you could ask, if you don't know it, there's nothing wrong. Put an anonymous note in their mailbox to let them know that you're worried about how their cows look. Next, The next day or two, you'll probably see more hay in that path, you know, in the corral with them. So Missy, we, did, um, did any of the neighbors ultimately, well, neighbors is a strong word in North Dakota because I'm sure it's acres and acres away, but... The, the community come together. Where did they initially stand back and did they ultimately come together? Where did, where is that then left? I think we had more people. We were very transparent. So anybody that wanted to come and see our, our pasture, our livestock, we let them come and see. And I think that's what also helped us. We didn't have anything to hide. You know, I mean, right. our life looked like anyone else's livestock at the time. And so people saw that they were like, we had so many people tell us, if they're telling you that you're neglecting right. your cattle, I'm really in trouble because my cows look the same or worse than yours do right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was what got people talking about it the right way about saying something's not right with the situation. Um, and th- those are people that knew they knew what other livestock in the area looked like and they were not concerned about ours. Um, so that's what I think got more people asking. Ultimately, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, they end up letting us keep our livestock. I think a lot of people were putting pressure on to say that, hey, if you're going to take this pe- this person's horses and cattle, you're going to have bigger issues because that means you can you want to come and take all of ours if they look like this. So um, most people. What about legislators or that type of thing? Did you get any help on that front? So that we did have uh, one representative that we asked to come out there. He videoed the whole thing. He was able to start talking about it, um, getting people to to ask the question and come out and see us. We were able to link up with um, North Dakota Farm Bureau was one of the few organizations that actually was in opposition to this bill when it was being drafted in North Dakota. And when they heard that this happened, my dad had a very good friend that just called, called, called and said, you need to go out there and see what's going on because these livestock are not in the condition they say. I had a friend that worked for North Dakota Farm Bureau and I was asking her, have you had anybody with this situation? What can I do? And those two conversations kind of got linked up. So uh, the president of North Dakota Farm Bureau came out to our place and said, you know, your place looks like a lot of other places. And if this is what they're going to do to you, we need to get our stuff together because this isn't right. Um, So we had people that started doing that. And that is part of the reason some of that support is what got the law changed, you know, with having a representative that saw what could happen. They were pivotal in getting the cha- the, tr- the changes made where you are guaranteed a 
um, a hearing before the animals are removed. The animals will be inventoried and possession uh, logged, you know, so that they're tracked wherever they go. Right. Um, those big wins for us to get in there. Um, the other thing I'll say is that what happened to us, there were people that reached out to us pretty much anonymously because they had a similar situation happen. They were offered plea deals that included essentially a gag order. So they could not talk about what happened at all, uh, but they just were fed up with it. And they called us and just told us, you know, they said, yeah. I, I, you know, don't look up my name. Don't tell anyone I called you, but this happened to me. And the part of it in theirs was the gag deal, uh, you know, the, the, the gag order so that they couldn't talk about their case. Ultimately, you can never say what you would or would would not do until you're in the situation. Um, my dad was offered multiple plea deals. He held out and held out. And then we got the an unprecedented plea deal um, offered to my dad, which would have, we were already to the hilt in legal fees. And they said a trial would cost at least another 80 to $100,000 with no guaranteed outcome. Ultimately, the plea deal he took um, he agreed to be on probation for a year with monthly inspections. And once that was done, everything was cleared from his record. So I do want people to know about that, that if you are ever in these charges, you know, if you don't have anything to hide, say that you'll do it, you know, you'll, you can inspect me for a year. And then if there's no problems, it goes away. That is a very good, because if everybody, you know, if they're concerned about how you're caring for the animals, they're going to, in theory, from their viewpoint, they'll catch you later. Or if it's just a bad situation, you're going to do your part to stay on the straight and narrow and do what you need to do. So thankfully, that's what we were able to do. So the restraining order against the state of North Dakota was huge. A restraining order gets in front of a judge a lot sooner. Petitioning to have the animals kept um, and seized in place so that you know where they are, so that you're not facing these exorbitant care and feeding bills is huge. Yeah. If you are offered a plea deal, seeing if, with, you know, sometimes if there's something so that at the end of it, it can be expunged from your record. If, you know, probationary stuff is met is huge because um, a lot of these legal cases, they just want to close them. They want a plea deal. So if there's something where they can look like, hey, this was a concern, we're going to inspect them. And then as long as there's no concern, it goes away. Most people will go for that. Um, and so those yeah. are things, our case, <clears throat> are things I tell people about. So I'm at the point now where, you know, my dad's stuff finished up. The movie was made. Most of it is true. I know you asked that earlier. I will say most of it's true. If it's a little far-fetched, it's probably not true. I never broke and entered into anywhere in my life, so I definitely did not break <laughs> at clinic to get the records. Um, there was an agreement for all of our horses to be sold to a horse buyer that the sheriff knew, um, so that was the initial plan. And then people, some people that are very emotional about horses realize that horse buyer is also a slaughter buyer. I don't have a problem with the slaughter uh, market. It's there for a reason. Um, but some people felt very emotional about that. You know, you're saying these animals are so starved and neglected, but you're going to sell them where most of them are probably going to be sold for slaughter. It's not a good look. You know, you're yeah. saving us so that you somebody else can make money when they sell them for slaughter. So ultimately that, uh, that was kind of true in the fact that there was a financial gain in the mix uh, for somebody our animals, at one point, somebody kind of made a threat to my dad that the animals were sick and quarantined. Our animals were never quarantined, so we didn't have illness like it's portrayed in the movie. Yeah. Um, but we just, we were pretty much told, like, don't take anything off the property. We could have, um, and we we just thought we were quarantined, so my yeah. dad didn't any horses or sell any horses because we had actually it was springtime. We had people that were actively wanting to purchase our horses, so uh, that was another yeah. thing is you know, they'll say based on the number of animals involved, if it's a animal hoarding situation, 
it doesn't matter how many horses or cattle we have when we had access to almost a thousand acres of land. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of cattle and horses on a thousand acres of land. And if you ask a cattleman how many cows they say, they won't tell you. Because that's like asking them how much money is in their bank account. It's very rude. Um, so people said, well, why did you have so many horses? We raise quarter horses. Right. Why, why yeah, they we? don't. Again, they won no perspective on North Dakota property, which I don't completely do. have, but I, I have enough sense to know it's yeah. very different than a farm in Alabama or Florida or wherever that would be. But um, you, you said something interesting about the, um, you know, they don't understand that, uh, you know, a thousand acres, you can have even hundreds of horses, right? And um, if that's the business you're in, I see, I see so much worse. I see stuff that troubles me so much more at local stables where horses are kept in stalls all the time as pleasure horses. Yeah. And then live out on properties and founder their feet grow out. If the ground is too soft, our horses walk on natural pasture. We very rarely have to trim our horses hooves because they are doing what horses were made to do traveling they're moving they eat grass they walk back to the water source um you know our don't require a lot of maintenance because they're not kept in a box stall they are out you know in god's country doing what horses do living living under the stars and it's where they're happy well the irony is look how many people will uh get on the bandwagon for the wild horses and they don't have shelter or somebody feeding them they don't have farriers and all that they they live naturally but yet when you're doing it on your are, farm, that's different. Some of those horses are in the worst shape of any horses in this country right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. I, I want to do an entire episode about that. Missy, yeah. what's the scenario now? Is your dad still out on the farm? Is he still alive? What's your scenario <laughs> now? Yeah, so everything administratively has settled up. Like I say, he took the plea deal. The probation's been done. Um, he still has cattle and horses. Um, we have downsized some, some for optics, but also it was kind of the right transition to make for us. Um, sure. So we still have horses. We Thankfully, uh, Trent Luce actually introduced us to uh, an organization that has online pig sales. They agreed to have an online horse sale for us. So we had our first you know, we traditionally had sold our horses off the ranch or at other, um, you know, horse sales throughout the course of the year. Now yeah. we actually production sale online. And so we started that in 2017. And this is what I'm, we're having one this fall. So we actually have it on September 10th. We'll have our other, our um, annual online production sale on the Went Group. So if you look up the Went Group, W-E-N-D-T, Went Group, in search for Dossinger sales, you'll find us. Um, so we're still, you know, raising horses. We're still, we still have cattle. We've, I'm trying to get my dad to <laughs> keep downsizing. They're just cows are a lot more work when you get a little bit older, having to feed them all yeah. winter. Horses can graze a lot more in the winter and then you give them supplemental feed, but cows pretty much need hay in front of them all winter, which is just a lot more time and effort. Um, but, but my dad's still on the ranch. He's still getting around. Um, if he does have something come up, um, you know, then I can go home. My brother's still at home, that type of thing. But we still have our horses. We have downsized, but thankfully we were the ones as the producers that had the sale and got that money instead of the sheriff's department. Yeah. Good for you. Well, I, I so appreciated it. I think it's a really important story. I'm glad the movie was made because um, they certainly, the essence of this story get comes across well in the movie. I'll put a link to that. And And um, yeah. 
felt it a lot with me. I actually, um, I helped them kind of talk about some different concepts they had in the movie. They were very helpful. That's why I know how much of it's accurate because I told them. Uh, So I appreciate that they got my input. They also had my dad and I were actually in the movies as extras. So if you haven't watched the movie, keep an eye out for us. We're in it in our own scenes. And then there's an interview with us at the end. And it actually was only supposed to be a four year deal with Netflix, but it's still getting enough views that it's still on there. So for now it's still on Netflix. Um, if, if that ever changes, hopefully it'll be available somewhere, uh, wherever ESX entertainment agrees to have it at. I don't know if it'll be something you can purchase online, but I would tell people, you know, it's great to have a movie made about you, but it's a horrible reason for it to be made. Um, we didn't off of the movie. We were just thankful that our story was told because our story is and could be the story of many other people. And that's why it's so important. That's why I really appreciate you reaching out. I'm happy to help protect the harvest with anything I can do about getting our story out. I think it gets, you know, you realize it doesn't just happen to, you know, a name. It's a person, it's a family. It's a, I'm a fourth generation that will be on a ranch. Um, it's not just something that's a news article. It happens to real people. Yeah. If we don't get smarter about pushing back, it's going to happen to more of us. Um, and that's Absolutely. why I just want people to have the same access to information and knowledge. Everybody deserves a fair shake in the court system. And we're just thankful to be through ours. Well, thank you, Missy. I really appreciate it. It's a wealth of information and couldn't agree more that it's uh, something we need to know about. It shows up in different faces. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you so much. Boy, there was certainly a great deal of information there to unpack and maybe something you'd even want to listen to a couple times, especially if this is important to you. Check show notes. I've, I've listed a lot of links there for uh, various things Missy mentioned. And again, as, as I always tell you, go see for yourself. There were scenarios here where the person who actually complained initially had not even been to the farm. So be cautious about that and go see for yourself when you can. And please, by all means, keep an open mind. There are good people out there doing good work. And when it becomes emotional and the animal rights community gets involved, we lose sight of that. So I implore you to really take a step back, find that middle ground, research a little bit more, find the middle. As always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please share it. It's so important for me to tell these stories, and I really hope you will share these stories. And I hope you'll join me next time for more Animal Tales. 